0: Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, We're together you and I are choosing to do things differently. We are committing to prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships while building a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love and generating the wealth for us to design a beautiful life on our Terms, keyword meaning being our terms. What does success mean for you? And if you are here as either a first time listener or a seasoned listener that's coming back week after week, I just want to take the time to tell you how much I appreciate you seriously for coming every single week and investing in yourself to learn and expand and grow. And every single week I'm interviewing people that are making a massive impact in the world so that I can pull out their best knowledge, skills, and experiences to teach you to do exactly the same. And man, oh man, am I so excited to introduce you to today's legendary leader of impact, John Levy. And in this episode, you're going to learn so much, but I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, you're going to learn some of John's key secrets to developing a world class network. And when I say world-class, I mean world-class. I mean Nobel laureates, Olympians, celebrities, executives, artists, musicians. And he's even connected with the Grammy winning voice of the bark from who let the dogs out. (laughs) He he's created this secret dining experience where he puts all these people together and they can't discuss their career or give their last name, but once they're seated to eat, they get to reveal who they are. So he's built this crazy, crazy cool network of people that are really interested in attending his dinner. So you're going to learn directly from the man who's created this experience and develop these world-class relationships. So look out for that. Number two, you're going to learn what the Ikea effect is and why it's the fastest way to build trust between people who have nothing in common. And number three, what the mere exposure effect is and what it has to do with making the Mona Lisa the most famous painting on earth. So you're probably wondering at this point, who is John Levy? Well, John is a behavioral scientist specializing in human connection, trust, and influence. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, You're Invited, The Art and Science of Connection, Trust, and Influence and Belonging, and he's also the founder of Influencers, the group that I just described to you before, the secret dining experience and private community of over 2,700 industry leaders, including Nobel laureates, Olympians, celebrities, executives, royalty, and more. Huge shout out to Michael Roderick for making this introduction and this episode happen, and you're actually going to hear in this episode how John has actually made a massive impact in my life, so I'll let you listen in on how that happened in this episode. But I think just to kind of wrap things up and to introduce you to John, I want to share a quote that was actually on the top of his other book, The 2AM Principle, but it says, John Levy is what happens when you mix a behavioral scientist like Robert Cialdini with Indiana Jones. <laughs> so I think that quote really says it all. John is truly someone that lives life to the fullest by creating incredible experiences with interesting people. I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode, and I just have to give one teeny little apology, and that is I was a total dork, and I think I didn't actually use my normal mic that I used. So my sound quality on my end might be slightly different than what you're used to. So I apologize for that. But this is an absolutely incredible interview. And so I'm super excited to introduce you to my new friend, John Levy. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Mr. John Levy, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend. This is going to be so much fun. I already know it.
1: I am super excited to be here. I have to say I do or have done a lot of podcast interviews. I don't know many people who really do the prep like you do. And I have to say I have I actually a ton of forgot for to
0: that. I forgot to prep for years. So that's a that's a, a, a an embarrassing thing. I'm just right kidding. Now. Just kidding. Um so we have we have so much to dive into. I I wanna start by actually Publicly thanking you because I I, I don't think I I didn't share this with you before we started recording but I think in some alternate universe my my life would be slightly different without your work so um I can't say with hundred percent certainty but I told you beforehand I came across you for the first time on Jonathan Levy's podcast and that was before I knew him and oh, your for the
1: listeners th- those are two yes. different people I'm not that person. Yes.
0: Yes, thank you for clarifying that. I really already made the jump in my head. So somebody another another doppelganger John John Levy, although they say their d- name different, but I heard your episode and you shared something about the IKEA effect um mm-hmm. that blew my mind and I that's kind of what spurred me to end up reach out to Jonathan and I developed that whole relationship with him and that kind of kicked things off. So I immediately applied what you learned. So it's come full circle and I'm super excited to share your work with uh with the the people that are listening in today. So excited. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so that let, was a
1: fun interview too So, uh, yeah
0: there. good well so let's start in a really fun place uh, I would love for you to share about how the adventures of Peter Pan has shaped your life perspective to kick oh, things wow. off uh,
1: so <laughs> when I was a uh, when I was coming of age let's say I went back and I'm dyslexic so I'm a terrible terrible reader I listen to mostly audiobooks uh, if you're listening to me right now I encourage you to grab the audiobook version of my my book uh, and uh so I went back and I read like all those children's books that you know you were supposed to read when you were a kid, and I didn't because I really just couldn't and uh I came across this philosophy that James M. Barry, the author, kind of shared about what it is to live in a life of wonder and adventure, and I was really inspired by it and I kind of asked the question, what would it be like if I could grow up without growing old? Mm-hmm. And what is it that really matters to keep us young? And what I kept coming back to was that this idea of wonder and curiosity and awe, really, like if you if you could capture that in your life, if you could see the world with the same kind of curiosity that a child does, then that's a pretty amazing life. And the Barry had these characters, the lost boys. And yes, they're boys, but it's just because he believed that girls are smarter and would never find themselves in the silly situation of ending up lost, essentially. And so uh that's the only reason it's it's just boys. Uh and so I I was really inspired by it and I kind of took on this view of the world of hey, I want to learn about everything. I want to go on adventures and explore the world and see all the novel things there are to see. And so I, I put myself into like these crazy situations. At one point I was, uh, every year for a year, I went to the most, uh, crazy event in the world, wherever it was. So I went to running of the bulls and I actually got crushed by a bull in Pamplona. I almost died. I went to burning man. I went to uh toronto international film festival and i uh (laughs) at one point i within 10 seconds of meeting the woman who works behind the counter at duty free in stockholm airport she quit her job and decided to travel with me and my family for a week
0: i want to know what that conversation was like
1: (laughs) i battled that year keeper sutherland in drunken jenga and uh Won an invitation to his family Thanksgiving that he forgot I invited him to. So when I showed up, he was like, "Who are you?" It was like a week <laughs> later. It was amazing.
0: Absolutely. Amazing. Well, that those are that's incredible. And thank you for embodying that sense of adventure by by doing what you say. I let, let's let's zoom in just to give people a little bit of sense of the adventure that you've been on. One of the other stories I had heard you tell was getting lost in the backwoods area of Myanmar. <laughs> you gotten a little bit of a a oh. bike riding incident. Would you mind sharing what happened here? <laughs> yeah, it,
1: so the the issue is that I tend to say yes to just about everything. And <laughs> I in retrospect I probably shouldn't. But uh Myanmar some people know it as Burma as well. Um uh we went to there's this UNESCO heritage area where there are all these kind of just incredible pagodas like pyramidal type structures and uh me and my friend were staying at a hotel we decided to like go and uh and take some bikes out and see like the back areas and we go and we go and we go and when we asked the person like how long is this path he's like oh it's an hour or it was two hours whatever it was and we're like okay and we kept going and we kept going and we're like two hours in and they're like this is so like strange what's What's going on here? Like we haven't, we should be back an hour ago. He had the guy, we thought he was saying round trip. It was each way. And so we ended up in like the middle of the in the dark there in the back roads, like avoiding um uh, avoiding being like hit by cars that couldn't see us because we are on these bicycles. Like it was absolute insane. I flew off the bike at one point, fell on the ground, oh kind of injured myself. Uh eventually, I think what we ended up having to do was to convince a group of local strangers to like they didn't speak a lick of English to give us a boat ride to our hotel. And <laughs> while we were waiting, they invited us to do shots of homemade whiskey. And this homemade whiskey was so strong, they would pour some on the table and set it on fire in between <laughs> shots. Uh, and. And none of them spoke English. It was like seven people living in a house together. It was just one of these things, like, I should have known better, but you know, in retrospect, I'm lucky it all worked out.
0: That's that's crazy. I could just it's probably one of those moments like, what is really go- is this real? Like, what is what and, is and, life oh, right oh, now? Here's I'm the best
1: watching. part. I'm still friends with one of them on Facebook. Well, there you go. You see I use an Facebook, annual <laughs> but like, how weird is that? They're like you're in the middle of nowhere and there's still Facebook. That That's so funny.
0: So I, we could continue on your adventures all day, but I, I want to kind of start bridging towards your experience of, of bringing people together. And then we can start diving into uh, your incredible book, You're Invited, The Art and Science of Connection, Trust and Belonging, which um, is just, I can already see the ramifications it's going to have as I implement stuff. But I'd love for you to tell another story that'll kind of bridge the gap between like some of these relationships you built and the people that you bring together. So you're at Sundance, And you see Obi-Wan Kenobi, at least how I would recognize him from Star Wars. You see Ewan McGregor. You see Ewan McGregor. You walk up to him. What happens next?
1: I I would always play with different ways to introduce myself to people. And this was probably one of the weirdest. I said to him, Ewan, I'm going to say three sentences. And by the end, you're going to ask if you can cook me dinner. And he looked at me with absolute confusion. And I said probably something to the extent of, uh, I run a secret dining experience where we invite 12 people to cook dinner, but they're not allowed to talk about what they do or even give their last name. After they cook dinner together, they sit down to eat and we play a game to guess what everybody else does. And that's when people find out they're sitting with Nobel laureates, Olympic medalists, editors-in-chief, the occasional member of royalty or prime minister of a country. And I I don't remember at that point how many it was, but at this point, it's been uh, 283 dinners uh, in 11 cities and four countries, uh, and over 2,500 people have attended, probably even more than that at this point. I um,
0: clearly said no, right? He didn't want to come. That wasn't, what he, that wasn't intriguing. What he either. ended
1: up saying was, that's my manager. Go talk to her. Let's make this happen or some version <laughs> of
0: that. Oh, man, that's so cool. I, I, I can just picture that that stunned look on his face as he hears that question it's just like what do you what do you even do do with that
1: could you imagine like even I walk up to you in the middle of the street if I was like I'm gonna say something and when I'm done you're going to ask like you're gonna equivalent of me saying like you're going to ask me to make out with your girlfriend or something like it's (laughs) it's just so absurd it's yeah you know one of the things that I really looked at over the years and it kind of goes back to what you asked about about the lost boys and this wonder and awe Is that the brain responds to novelty in a very unique way, which is that, and and I'd put it kind of like on a spectrum, which is that if it's new and different enough, it'll get our attention. If I asked to like take him out for coffee, he's obviously going to say no, right? Mm -hmm. So it has to be new and different enough. But it also can't be so dangerous that, and scary that he'd want to say no. So you have to find kind of that middle ground. If I described it as like a party where everybody carries knives and whatever it is, right? Unless it I, I end with something really funny, then it's not like a, a a great angle. So yeah, when I approach really high profile people, I want to say something that stands out as aspirational and novel and really different, but that sounds very safe and comfortable and gives them confidence that oh. Their colleagues, their equals, are going to be there. Yeah. So, ha-
0: so happy. let's let let's bridge the gap a little bit because I can imagine if somebody listening, like they, they heard your bio, they heard you tell some crazy stories. They they know you have this sense of adventure, and they know you meet these really high profile people. But it wasn't always this way. You weren't always surrounded by oh, no, no, these no, no. Nobel laureates. So, my, so I heard. Yeah, go, my, I, I would I'm love for you to, to, to share a immigrant. little bit about. Oh, okay, Immigrants. like I didn't
1: grow up having a clue of American society. I was born. In Tel Aviv, while my parents were on vacation in Israel, uh, my father grew up incredibly poor. He managed to create a bit of a career over the years as a painter and sculptor. My mom's a composer and conductor, uh, but it wasn't like I grew up with super wealthy people or, you know, like a silver spoon or any of that stuff. Yeah, It, it was so... really understanding human behavior that gave me access to people. I
0: love that. So let let's zoom in. You're you're around 28 years old and you're you're at a conference where you 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 hear an insight that kind of changes everything and I think that'll kind of set the foundation for the rest of the stuff we'll talk about today. Would you mind sharing what you learned there?
1: Oh, sure. So the the conference is called Wisdom Unlimited and one of the things that was presented is this idea that the fundamental element that defines the quality of our lives are the people that we surround ourselves with. And the conversations we have with them. Now here's what's really critical. We're used to thinking that our life is a byproduct of how hard we hustle and how much self-control we have. And then we beat ourselves up when we don't hustle hard enough or have enough self-control. right? If only I could set the alarm for five am, work out, meditate for twenty minutes, then <laughs> you know jot down everything I ate plus, you know when yada, yada, yada. None of that, like, like I would beat myself up so much. And after hearing that, I realized, wait, maybe the issue is that I'm just having the wrong conversations with people or having it with the wrong people. And if I could just switch who I'm talking to, maybe instead, if I had friends who were athletes, exercise would just be a natural aspect of my life. Maybe instead of eating a tub of popcorn and seeing a movie because I have film friends or something like that, then I would go to the gym in the afternoon or evenings. I'd be taking walks instead of meeting for cheesecake. And so I wanted to see how accurate this is. And there was this fantastic study done by Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler. They were curious about the obesity epidemic. And they were curious, does obesity spread from person to person like a cold? or? is it a percentage of the population like Alzheimer's? As far as I know, people don't get Alzheimer's from shaking somebody's hand who has Alzheimer's, right? It doesn't right. spread like that. And what they found was really startling to everyone. If you have a friend who's obese, your chances increase by 45%. Your Crazy. friends who do not know them, right? They do not know them have a 20% increased chance. And their friends that are completely disconnected from this scenario have a 5% mm-hmm. increase. And this kind of effect is true for just about everything from happiness and marriage to divorce rates, to smoking habits, just about anything you can think of. So I got really, really curious. What causes the most influential people in our culture to connect, build meaningful relationships, and develop a sense of belonging or community? because if i can bring these people together then the only limitation on my influence or my ability to impact my life is which aspect of it i want to impact
0: so cool so let's unpack that let like so someone's listening right now and they're like okay i get it like i totally am in i'm bought in i'm going to start surrounding myself with some people so i think that that's kind of like hopefully give some incredible actionable takeaways, which I know we will for some people to, to begin developing these rich relationships. And I think it, especially in today's world where we feel so disconnected, it's like these true rich relationships that you help people build as a result of the work that you do is just incredible. So I, I know kind of like the backbone of this book is something that you call the influence equation. So we'd love for you to maybe share a little bit about that and oh, then we sure. can start to kind of do, go underneath that.
1: So influence has kind of gotten a bit of a bad rap because it's gotten confused for avocado toast and bikinis, right? Like it's being infused for like Instagram and TikTok and all that. Uh, and people refer to them as influencers. I don't really consider them influencers in the, in the same way that I talk about. I consider them fantastic content makers, right? If you know how to create content for an audience, you'll build an audience. But it's different than being part of a community. It's different than uh, just the mechanics of traditional influence. Like it's part of it, just not all of it. Mm-hmm. So my view is that if you want to be if you want to have influence, ability to impact an outcome or a person, it comes down to who you're connected to because it's hard to impact people you just have no connection to. It's possible. It's just really hard. The second is uh, how much they trust you because influence is a opt-in. Right? It's not force. I'm not threatening you. So the greater the level of trust, the more likely that influence will impact you. And the third is the sense of belonging you share. So you'll notice that if I have a lot of friends in common with you, and I'm now impacting them, I'm getting them to, let's say, eat healthier, you're more likely to eat healthy, just like that study we talked about. So, it's who you're connected to, how much they trust you, and the sense of belonging that you share. Mm-hmm. and if we can understand what triggers each of those, then it's pretty easy to understand how to become influential in the things that matter to you, yeah
0: so let's let's start by zooming in on a little bit of both of those uh, or all three of those, if we could, maybe because i I mentioned kind of in the intro. When I heard you share on your twins pod, not actual twin, your your name yeah. twins podcast, Jonathan Levy, my the thing that stuck, your your doppelganger, uh, the IKEA effect was just, and I've shared this with so many people as a result of hearing it for the first time. So I know this is kind of like an incredible way to build trust. It's it's it really made an impact in my life, but would love for you to share that for some people.
1: Sure. So, in our culture, I'm going to make a claim that's not really fully true, but just enough that. I think most people would agree. We have a tendency to try to buy our relationships or impress people or try to. And a simple example is if Brandon, I don't know if you're in a relationship, but let's say you're not, you see somebody that you're attracted to and you say, hey, I got Beyonce tickets. Do you want to go on a date? So now you're hoping that their lack of interest in you will be made up for by the interest in Beyonce. And maybe that'll rub off on you. And that's how we do things. It's, hey, um, I'd like to talk to you about my company. Can I take you out for dinner? And so right now what we're doing is we're exchanging time for some kind of utility. That's not a relationship. That's a rental. And so if my objective is to create a greater level of trust, then you coming to the party that I threw with a gift bag doesn't actually do that. You probably threw out the gift bag after anyway. So the question becomes what actually does work. And the weird thing is that it's kind of the opposite. It's called what you mentioned, the IKEA effect. And that's that we care more about our IKEA furniture because we have to assemble it. It turns out that anything we put effort into, we care more about. And if you have a pet, a kid, if you've ever worked on a large project, the more effort we put in, the more we care about it. The more we tend to trust people we put effort into. And I think the simple argument for this is that we didn't survive because we're the fastest or the strongest. As a species, we're not. We survived and thrived as a species because we invest effort into one another and we grow social bonds and communities. And so... The key here is to flip the entire script. Rather than trying to win you over, I want to find ways for you to invest effort into me and for me to invest effort back into you. And that is known as a relationship. And that is how trust grows.
0: Yeah. So the immediate way that I applied that kind of alluded to is when I reached out to the other Jonathan Levy is I had I had kind of reached out with a project to to help him with. And then that turned into like this mentor relationship and it just quickly, quickly grew from there. And so I think that that's, there's so many small little micro ways think can you can begin point to, to something experiment with that.
1: Super interesting there, which is that everybody always wants somebody to be their mentor, uh, or at least especially when you're like early on in your career. Mm-hmm. And what I've generally noticed, and this isn't based on research, this is kind of just noticing is that if I ask you to be my mentor, then I'm asking you to do a part-time job for free. Yep. That's a lot of effort. But if I get you to invest some effort into me and I demonstrate my ability to activate, execute, whatever, produce results after. So if I say, Hey, can I get your opinion? What's your favorite book that had the most impact on your career? You give it to me, the name. I read it. I come back to you and I say, wow, Brandon, that was fantastic. It had a huge impact on me. I took some notes. Uh, Do you have any other suggestions? Or are there certain talks that you really like? Or is there somebody from your team or somebody that really was a huge mentor to you that I should be considering or looking up? With each additional round of you putting an effort into me, you'll care more and more. Yep. Yep. Nobody likes a taker, like if you're just taking, but it gives an opportunity to begin the reciprocity of actual relationships. And the key is something I call stacking. Researchers had people go out and ask for complex directions and overwhelmingly they didn't get them. But then they sent people out to ask for the time. And once they got the time from people, they asked for directions and overwhelmingly they got the direction. Yeah. Once somebody puts effort into you, you're viewed as somebody worthy of more effort. And so the key to really starting any decent relationship is to start off small and then go big. People always think like, oh, I don't want to bother that person. They're so important. They're so on and so forth. Yeah. But if you can get just small amounts of effort being exchanged, that's the basis of a relationship. Yeah. hold that relationship so tight and so close that you're like, I've got the email address and then you never communicate with them, you don't actually have much of a relationship. Mm
0: -hmm. It's funny because like this can be used in so many places. I saw this in the wild two days ago and I took note of it because I just don't know if I was aware of it, but I was like using an app and it asked me, are you enjoying the app? Yes or no. And I clicked yes. And then it asked me to rate the app. It didn't go to rate yes. the app right away. But I had, I had invested in a little bit of momentum in answering a question first, which made me much more likely to actually go leave a rating. So I think this applies in many more contexts, even beyond just relationships, which makes it incredibly versatile. So, yeah, so it's the we,
1: mechanics we, of human beings in general. Yeah, for sure.
0: Love it. So so that's one way to build trust. And again, anybody go check out the book if you want like a whole library of different ways you can build trust. But because we don't have all the time in the world, I'd love to kind of keep going. You know going Check with the out inf- the
1: book regardless of if you want or not. I'm just happy with people <laughs> checking it out.
0: <laughs> go for it. So, so let's keep going with the influence equation. So we talked about trust a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about connection. So I think this will be nice. a fun fact for people so that you, the next time you're having... Dinner with a significant other or a friend, you can tell them a, a funny story that that will make you look super cool, and you can also learn about something. So I didn't know this until I read your book. Uh, Why the Mona Lisa became so popular? Uh, so I would love for you to oh. share a little bit about the Mona Lisa and the mere exposure effect, and how we can leverage that.
1: So sure, it it turns out in 1911, the Louvre is where they keep the Mona Lisa. It's the largest building in the world at the time. It was protected by eleven guards, I think on this particular day, which is, I think, was August 11th 19—I uh, uh, have to look back—but right before <laughs> World War I, maybe it was 1912 or something like that. Uh, and a uh, guy walks into the Louvre, it's being protected by 11 guards, mostly former legionnaires, who I think have a reputation of being pretty drunk. and. He walks into the Renaissance section, sees a bunch of paintings, literally grabs the smallest painting on the wall, one that nobody really cares about, surrounded by much more impressive paintings, and covers it in a workman's smock, walks out, and nobody stops him. About 36 hours later, the Louvre is filled with detectives. Newspapers around the world are printing pictures of this stolen piece, and all of Paris goes crazy. People stand in line just to see the empty spot on the wall. I mean, thousands of people went just to see the empty hook. Because it was so embarrassing that the, a painting was stolen. Three years later, the paintings finally returned. Once again, stories around the world share of its grandeur. And suddenly, people really care about this one painting that nobody even noticed beforehand. And this painting, of course, is the Mona Lisa. And here's what's wild about it. If you speak to art historians, the painting was, I think, painted around 1506 or so. It wasn't till 1860 that was even considered a good example of Renaissance work. But (laughs) when you compare it to other great pieces, like it's not such an amazing painting. Don't get me wrong. It's done by a master. It's a solid painting. But compare it to the Sistine Chapel or the right. uh, Last Supper or any of these other pieces. And it's like, you know, it's matchbox size. It's like a, super It's a teeny. postage stamp, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's super small. It's like a little bit bigger than a couple of sheets of paper, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's what's amazing about it is that for human beings, frequency of contact with something really, for a large portion of characteristics, defines how much we like it. And that's how it is with the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa isn't such a great painting. It's kind of more like the Kim Kardashian of 1911. It's famous for being famous. And that's how we are as people, is that we tend to like those that are familiar to us. Amusingly, the thing that's most familiar to us is, of course, us. So anything that reminds us of ourselves, we tend to like disproportionately.
0: Ah. Let's let's talk a little bit about implicit egotism because you left it right there. Like like yeah. so so talk a little talk a little bit about Hinge and initials and all. <laughs>
1: like, oh sure. So uh, me and my colleague Dr. Moran Surf uh, at the time he, he was at Kellogg and actually I think he still is at Kellogg. I uh, he and I were able to do a project with Hinge, the dating app, and we looked at what actually causes people to date. And you know there are all these like theories like opposites attract and all that kind of stuff and when we started looking at the data it was pretty obvious the more similar you are across every characteristic the more likely you are to date and that goes down to your initials so if you have the same initials you're 11.3 percent more likely to date that doesn't mean that like oh everybody's going to go out and date somebody with their initials that's just ridiculous but it means that there are these really small Things that impact our behavior pretty dramatically, and we do not notice them. If I said, Oh, you dated this person because you went to a liberal arts college, and so did they, you'll be like, No, that's not it. You know, I like them because of their sense of humor. Sure. But when we combine the fact that you both went to the, the same type of university, uh, that you have uh, the same religion the same you know i go topic by topic we've just seen that suddenly you have like an 800 percent increased chance that the two of you will date and that's mm-hmm. pretty wild an eightfold chance that you will date somebody is a pretty big deal yeah and so um essentially the only place that that didn't work and this is really funny to me is introversion and extroversion and that's because introverts and introverts never talk to each other you need at least one extrovert to get a conversation going.
0: That's great. I love that. I mean, I think again, there's just all these, the ability for you to use these is only limited by your creativity. Like, what are the different ways that you can integrate these? And I'm sure you found so many different nuances in applying these in your life. So so we talked about the the equation with trust and connection. I'm actually gonna intentionally leave out sense of community, just so there's an open loop. So another, another excuse for people to go go check but, out something but else. But
1: One thing I, go ahead. I do want to point out, and I think yeah. this is really important. When we talk about connection, there's this tendency to say, hey, oh, I should go out there and network. If I want to be successful, I need yeah. these relationships. Okay, I'm going to go to this party or this event for people in my industry, and I'm going to get a lot of cards, and I'm going to email them, and I'm going to have a really good network to call on. And here's the biggest problem with that. If you look at people's implicit association to networking, like how it actually makes them feel, they tend to feel dirty and want to wash their hands. Mm -hmm. And that's because, and let's be honest, networking sucks for most people. Mm -hmm. Talking to a complete stranger and trying to find something to talk about and hoping that that complete stranger has the business value to you and all that, Like it kind of just sucks. But here's what's really wild. Do you know it doesn't suck? Making friends. Mm -hmm. People don't have that association. And so part of the problem is that when we feel like we're making a relationship just to use somebody for business value, we don't want to do it. When we feel like we're making friends with people because they're great people, and then it turns out that there's a business value, that feels natural. Mm -hmm. And so what we need to begin to do is look at how do we actually become friends with people? How do we use things like the Ikea effect, the mere exposure effect, uh, stacking, and the other things that we'll talk about to create genuine relationships? Mm -hmm. So here's a simple example. If I said to you, Brandon, I know you wanted to meet. Is it okay if we go do a workout together? I feel like it'll allow us to get to know each other better. Mm. Now that's me being completely transparent. I want to be friends with you. I know that the Ikea effect will kick in. And so I say, Hey, I think it'll be more conducive to us building a relationship. I'm doing it with full transparency. There's nothing manipulative about it. You'd probably prefer the workout versus being awkwardly at some coffee shop, eating some, food you don't want to eat Terrible anyway <laughs> yeah and so it's just a much more natural way to build relationships is through activities or through shared effort
0: yeah not to mention i think i don't know if i heard this from you or somewhere else but like i think what you do isn't it when you do a physical activity with someone that it creates a whole different level of bonding when you're like exerting yeah. some kind of you're energy both
1: experiencing pain and like all that kind of stuff so you can uh there's a whole bunch of different studies I don't know all of them at all right there's always <laughs> more research than i can track um uh, but yes there's some pretty compelling evidence to suggest that
0: Love that. Well let's let's talk let's keep going here then and talk a little bit about more ethical ways that we can develop relationships that are based on friendship and kind of create environments that are conducive to building friendship. So i one thing that I admired a lot about the book is you gave me language that I kind of had, but I didn't quite have until you kind of consolidated it. So just to kind of the super high level, what I got is just like the four groups of influencers. You got global influencers, the Oprah and the Bill Gates, and the, the industry influencers, the people that are impacting industries, then community and personal. I think some of those are kind of uh, explanatory. And I think the for simplicity's sake, it'd be easier to maybe to just zoom in on one of those, and you have a whole group called the influencers. So maybe we can we can zoom in there. So I, I'd love to maybe use some different examples to kind of paint a picture for some people on the ways that you've designed experiences to facilitate these relationships. So I, I want to get to some of your dinners, but I would love to start with a one of my another one of my favorite things I saw from the book was another example of um somebody intentionally designing an outcome to Uh, Facilitate a positive outcome, and that was, or experiences that facilitate a positive outcome, and that was Disney. So, uh, Mm. Disney developed a monorail to do something crazy. Would you would love for you to kind of share a little bit about this, and we can talk about what a path is?
1: (laughs) I was at a conference a few years ago in Orlando. One of the people speaking there was from the Disney Institute, which is their research group. And he asked this question Why is it that when people Come to Disney, right? Assuming you haven't gotten all your stuff ahead of time or you're not staying on premise, you drive in, you park your car, go up an escalator, buy a ticket, and then board a monorail or boat ride that takes 23 minutes that takes you to the front gate. Couldn't we just have put the ticket counter at the front gate? And so some people like this is an anticipation. Some people like to reduce, you know, overflow of people standing in line, all that kind of stuff. And he said, well, anticipation doesn't make sense because nobody accidentally ends up at Disney, right? It's planned (laughs) usually months in advance. Uh, And the answer was, and we had to kind of read a little bit between the lines because they don't ever like to use this word, but uh, I think it's the average household income, I looked this up after, in the US is $44,000 after taxes, give or take. A five day family pass at Disney, I think is something like $1,200. So when you spend that kind of money suddenly in your relative to your earnings, that's a really concerning number, right? That's Mm -hmm. like your mortgage payment and your car payment and whatever all rolled into one. It's a big deal. And so unsurprisingly, people don't necessarily feel that great right after. And Disney's supposed to be the happiest place on earth. And it's supposed to be also a successful business, right? They want people spending money there. It turns out, according to them, that the length of buyer's remorse for a purchase like that is 23 minutes. Mm -hmm. Which means that that way, once you ride the monorail or the boat, by the time you get to the front entrance, you're ready to be happy and spend more money. And that's brilliant. Because that means that you're designing the environment to take into account human behavior. They didn't just try to like convince us, oh, you should be happy about it. It'll be fun. Don't feel bad about it because that doesn't work. But they realized that the best thing they could do is actually just give people time and entertain them along the way during the ride. Mm. That's,
0: Brilliant. I Absolutely. I love that. And I I just I've. I actually listened to I ran a marathon uh, a few months ago now, and I was listening to so many audio books and I was listening to lots of Dan Kennedy content. He's obsessed with Disney. He's talking about all these crazy Disney hacks, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and how they've engineered. So like this is every time I find out another Disney level of intricacy, it just blows my mind. So
1: nobody like the CIA can't come close to what Disney does to us. Like it's not even a, a it's not even a fair comparison.
0: Yeah. That's nuts. So so I, I wanted to start there because I think that's a perfect, and you use this as an example in your book to talk about a path, like a very intentionally designed structure to kind of take someone to an intended outcome. And so before we kind of talk about how we can apply this to connecting with people and developing friendships, maybe start with telling about the concept of the elephant, the rider and the path and, and what those mean.
1: Sure. So, you know, there's this, uh, This phrase that goes, all models are wrong, but some are useful. So a model is designed to give us an understanding of something, but it's never the actual thing. So it's never perfect. And there's been a lot of models for how the brain works. It works like a computer. It works like whatever, right? And so the one I like the most is something called the elephant and the rider. And the elephant and the rider is that there's a logical side of our brain, one where we have conscious thought where we can explain ideas and and work through things. And that is the rider. Then there's the emotional side, our mechanics, our emotions, and our biases. They're larger and stronger than our logical side. That is the elephant. Now, that rider on that elephant can guide the elephant at times. So in the morning, you are probably pretty good at eating a healthy breakfast. But when the afternoon kicks in, that rider is pretty tired and that elephant is big and strong. And so if you were to see a chocolate bar on your counter at five o'clock by five Oh one, that elephant has taken control. <laughs> and the only thing that that rider, that logical portion of our brain can do is be really creative and come up with a justification for why we deserve that candy bar. Oh, I walked a lot yesterday. It's okay or oh i need the calories because i'm going to the gym later or whatever it is but you become actually really creative now good companies may speak to the logical side of things like oh think about all the money you'll save if you do this or the impact on the environment whatever it is very smart companies will speak to our emotions how good would it feel right you look at apple apple products It's all Mm. about how they make you feel. They make you feel special and unique, just like everyone else. It's (laughs) about about the feeling, right? It's not like they're trying to convince us based on the number of megabytes and how fast the processors are. Sometimes they do it like a comparison, but everything focuses on our emotions. But if you have a really, really, really smart company, you do something different. You see, because... If you have an elephant and a rider, and they're going about their day, they're going to need to go down some path. And if that path is rigid enough, then they can't wander. And we know where they're going to end up. And that's what Disney does. They created a journey that was very clear from beginning to end. And at the end, it was designed to get us where we need to be emotionally So that we can create great memories and enjoy our experience because if what we remember is negative things about our experience disney hasn't fulfilled its mission of being the happiest place on earth and so they literally design a path for our elephant and our rider so that we get to where we need to be emotionally
0: So let's talk about a path that you've designed. <laughs> um Would we, we, would love for you to share, and then maybe we can kind of reverse engineer some of the magic. So maybe just kind of share what happened, and we can kind of maybe unpack. Ooh, you think what, I'm going to give away did. all
1: my secrets? Nice no, 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 try, we'll see. It. We'll see
0: how we'll see how much I can pull out for, for you that. Today. they need to buy um, the book. <laughs> so let's talk about the aesthetic sensibility brunch. What the hell is that?
1: Oh, <laughs> that was a really fun project I ran. So the. The community that I run, the influencers, is completely free for all the participants. I pay for all the dinners. I probably run about 100 events a year. And of them, every so often, uh, brands will come to me and say, hey, can we sponsor a dinner? And I'll say no. But what we can do is design something completely custom that lives and breathes with your values. And so they said, okay, this is one specific company. What would you design for us? Mm -hmm. And... I did a bunch of research and I ended up creating an event with my creative director called the aesthetic sentability brunch. All you were told is that you had to bring the names and addresses of three loved ones and that a world expert was flown in to teach you something. So day of you arrive, see about 60 people there, grab some food. this time it's actually good because the food at my dinners is just God awful. And It's 12 people who don't know how to cook. Like they're making food. It just comes out <laughs> of, I've stopped eating the meals. The truth be told. Uh, and what ends up happening is that they uh, arrive, they grab some food, and then 12 at a time are pulled into a separate room covered in flowers. And the person at the front of the room is one of the top florists in the world. And over the next 30 minutes, everybody in the room learns how to assemble a perfect bouquet. And then when they're done, everybody says who they are. And that short little woman was Dr. Ruth. And we had one of the actors from the Marvel movies. And we had the editor-in-chief of this. It was like fancy people, right? And the last person says, my name is Ajay Corey. I'm the founder of Urban Stems. And for a modest fee, we deliver a perfect bouquet anywhere in the city. And if you follow me, we have runners who are on the spot going to deliver your bouquets to your loved ones. So while people were still at the event, they got photos of their loved ones receiving their bouquets. Mm. And so you asked, why is it designed that way? And how is the path designed? The key with a really good path is that you are clear on where you're trying to end. And what we realized after speaking to the floral company uh, that partnered with us on this was that Floral delivery is about the surprise and delight of gifting another person. It's about how good it feels to make somebody else feel good. Mm-hmm. And so for human beings, we have this really funny characteristic called the peak end rule, which is, when I'm not sure if you're in a relationship, but let's say you go on a date and it is the most amazing date you've ever been on. You are just like head over heels for this person. And it reaches that point the date's coming to an end and you're going to lean in for the kiss. And just as you do, you look at this person deep in the eyes and they say the most awful thing you've ever heard in your life. (laughs) Do you say good date or bad date?
0: Bad date, terrible date. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's funny because it's one second of something terrible and three hours of something fantastic. And that's because human beings do not process the length of pleasure or pain. So we realized we have to end on a really positive note with the core values of the company brought to life. So that's why the end of the path ends there. Now, the stage before that, when we engage and interact with them, we want them them to care about the brand. So it wasn't, oh, look at these beautiful flowers, let us tell you about them. It wasn't, here's how the shipping works, or here's a coupon, you can order some flowers to whoever you want instead what we got was here you're going to learn something novel and you're going to invest effort into the brand and its products and learn about it and now that ikea effect is in full force so now they care more about the brand and then the question becomes okay i'm very clear where i need to end up i'm clear how i'm interacting with them so that we can end up there now How do I invite people so they actually want to participate in this thing? Uh, For this, we relied on a different characteristic of human behavior known as information gap theory. And information gap theory says that when there's a gap between what you know and what you're being presented with, you'll fall into one of three scenarios. If the gap is really small, there's no new information, then you just move on. If the gap is way too big, like we start talking about equations in theoretical astrophysics, then the gap is too big. You're not going to be able to cross it. And so Mm -hmm. it's scary or uninteresting. But if it's wide enough that you feel like you can cross it, but not so big that it scares you, it creates curiosity. And that's like an itch you cannot scratch. Until you find out the answer, you are going to keep thinking about it. So when we invited people, we told them exactly what to expect. And that was a mystery. We told them that there'd be 60 people there, that they had to invite, uh, bring the names and addresses of three friends, and that a world expert was going to be there. And that it's only dinner alum. So there were all these fancy people. So now they're wondering, what's going on here? Who's going to be there? What's the activity? Who's the expert? And we named it the Aesthetic. Sentability experience. So now you keep repeating it. Is it supposed to be sensible? Sentible? Aesthetic? What's going on here? But in retrospect, it makes sense because aesthetic means visually pleasing, like flowers, and sensible, meaning that it's able to be scented or smelled, right? And so it all functioned as a mystery in the first stages so, that they had complete clarity and still creating curiosity.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you're witnessing a master at his craft. You can see, just like, you can kind of just play back all the stories that he's shared today, like going back to Ewan McGregor, like that was an information gap at the beginning. I'm sure you sort of see, like, all these little Lego pieces fit together, which is so freaking cool. So, uh, I know we're kind of coming up on time, John. Do you have time for like I, I do a want few, to emphasize
1: one important thing. Sure. Which is you'll notice at no point was anything that I did ever hidden or the reason ever Mm. hidden from our guests. Meaning if you said, John, why did you end it like that? I'd say, because we know that if we end in a special way, you'll remember it more and you'll value it more. I wanted you to get a sense of the company's core values and what they stand for. It's not because I'm trying to like get one over on people. It's that, this is the mechanics of human beings, and this is what they value. And so, fundamentally, everything we did and designed, we designed from a core layer of benevolence mm. that we design it for their enjoyment. Right? Like, frankly, I don't make any real money off of this stuff. I, I support myself uh, from speaking. These events I do because they're cool, because it allows me to have a playpen and an experimental space to do cool things for the people I really care about. And frankly use somebody else's budget to do it because I wasn't about to spend thousands of dollars on flowers myself.
0: That's amazing. Um like I said, John, I know we're coming up on time. So I want to be respectful. I have, I have one other question that would fit right in here. And then one other if I were going to do some ninja jujitsu and I was going to end on a question that would be a peak end rule for you. I have one of those, but I'll let you I'll let you pick where we where we go from here. Do we want to wrap things up or do you want one or two more?
1: Uh, let's, uh, I think I need to wrap things up.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Well, then I'm just going to use this, this, this very last question as kind of like the concluding thing. Um, and it may can just a really short story I found in the ending of your, uh, book and your acknowledgements, you, you gave a shout out to your wife. Uh, and, and I saw at the very end, something that was really intriguing to me. You had said something about, I look forward to 77 more years together. I love you. And I thought that was very beautiful. And so I assume that meant that you have a goal to hit a hundred year anniversary. Is that correct? Or tell me a little bit about no, no, that. No, no,
1: it's actually, uh, the, we're only going to be married for 80 years and then we're getting a divorce. And hey. the reason is that, first of all, I'm. Eighty years of marriage. I think I'll be hundred and seventeen or something like that. Okay. And uh, so you know, I'll be on the prowl for somebody. Yeah, I don't know, younger, whatever. But that's not <laughs> that's not the real reason. The real reason is that um, if you look at a lot of the research on how relationships degrade, it it kind of points to a few key factors. One is that we don't put in the effort to make sure that the other person's appreciated and respected and cared for and a few other factors. And that's because it's viewed as uh, a forever thing. And then it's easy to take it for granted. But if there's a clock ticking and it's constantly going down and I only have that much more time with her, then I better cherish the time I have. Mm -hmm. and I better put in the effort now to make sure that I get to hold on to her for as long as possible. And so that's why we're limited to 80 years. Not because I actually think I'm going to divorce her. Not that I even think, like I'm probably not going to be alive when we hit 80 (laughs) years of marriage. But just the fact that I am consciously aware on a daily or semi-daily basis that this is not a relationship I'm willing to take for granted and that it's going to have an end and that means that i need to really put in the effort uh to make sure that whatever limited time we have together is valued
0: it's so beautiful I we'll, we'll end there because <laughs> that was just so good I think anybody can skip back and just listen to the the poetic nature of that so I'm just gonna really quick have a conversation with you listening I just want to say you could be listening to any other podcast you could be doing any other thing right now but you clicked on this episode with John and myself and man this has been a blast and I, I think you have so many different opportunities to apply this and and as you heard from the beginning my life, has been impacted by John's work. And this can absolutely change someone's life if you share an episode. One person shared that episode with me and I don't know where my life would be if I hadn't heard that one thing. So maybe you can share this and it's the IKEA effect. Maybe you talked about one of these crazy stories. You just want to put a smile on someone's face that can absolutely make someone's day. It'll make my day if you share it. It'll make John's day if you share this episode. And um, I appreciate you so much for listening. And John, any final things you want to say before we wrap up officially for today?
1: Yeah, uh, just for all you listening out there, the fundamental element that defines the quality of our life are the people we surround ourselves with and the conversations that we have with them. In fact, relationships are so important that when you look at the great predictors of our longevity, number two is strong social ties like close friends and family. And number one is something called social integration. It's the number of people we come in contact with on a daily basis. and we all try all these crazy things like going to the gym all the time and working out and cleanses and all that kind of stuff but the fact of the matter is that none of that stuff comes close to the impact of meaningful relationships i mean don't get me wrong exercising is healthy and getting your flu shot is actually just on par with exercising in terms of extended life expectancy but none of them come close to meaningful relationships. So if I can really jump on what Brandon said, reach out to somebody, maybe share this episode, or at the very least, just call in and check on how a friend is doing. It's going to have oh, probably the biggest impact on your life.
0: Beautiful. I want to end right there, but I just realized I forgot to ask, where can people find out more about you and all the stuff you're up to? Obviously, you can go grab oh, a copy of your book and go to your site. JohnLevy.com.
1: j o n l e via in Victor, Y is in yellow. J O N L-E-V-Y dot com. And I'm at John Levy. Uh, T like Thomas, I like lion, be like boy, the lost boy, right? John Levy. Everybody got that, L-B, that little <laughs> uh At all of the platforms. So you can find me there. Feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever you want to do.
0: Beautiful. Well, John, I so appreciate you being here today and sharing your wisdom today. This has been absolutely incredible. And we'll talk to you soon, my friend.
1: Uh, this has been a treat. Thank you for having me.